Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising for over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I'm Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And we are here with episode 19, The Hot and Cold Boss. Yeah. Have you had one of those? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have had one of those, but <laughs> the rumor was that he had also taken a contract out on his wife's life. So I trode very lightly. <laughs> I gave him his space in regards to the hot and coldness. I figured he had a lot on his plate. <laughs> well, I mean, it, this was this was not this wasn't a rumor that kicked in after we worked there, and we're like, hey, what? A, this was a rumor that was present as we were working with this guy. So scary. okay, so I can't top that. There's. <laughs> <laughs> you win on the hot gold boss story. So the, the reason that we, this was actually a, um, a listener wrote in and suggested this and thank you listener for suggesting that. I think what's interesting about a hot and cold boss is that we're not talking about a boss who's a bully or we're not talking about boss who's over affectionate. The idea is that they are both either or. And so really right. the, the kind of the bottom line challenge of this is it's a lack of consistency. Yes. And in fact, you know, I had a friend who was embarrassedly at one point admitted to me. I said, hey, what do you, Dave, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a pickup coach. <laughs> I was like, is that paying? He goes, you wouldn't believe. And I go, so give me, what do you teach it? He goes, well, the thing I taught this week was two slaps and a kiss. And I go, what is that? He goes, being Pretty much, he set out a theory for inconsistency that kept the other person so imbalanced that he could, you know, he could gain some sort of upper hand. And I think that's what precisely maybe what we're talking about here, you know. And it's interesting because I hadn't really thought of it as a strategic choice because I find it to be such reprehensible behavior. But yes. I mean, I guess, yeah, that is that's it's just sort of deeply disturbing to me that someone like has yeah. that as their job that they teach people how to do that. Well, and I think, I mean, what, what started this was you and I were talking about Jimmy Fallon, right? So for those of you yep. that haven't seen the articles, there was a Rolling Stone article um, that described the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon as a toxic workplace and talked about the fact that for all of his affable persona and, you know, singing things and all that, He's actually a really hot and cold boss. And they described it in the article as there are good Jimmy days and bad Jimmy days. Yep. Right? And it was that volatility. And what's interesting is that, you know, he's not accused at any point of sexually harassing people. There's not stories of, you know, like him hurting anyone or throwing things, but he would be very angry. Sometimes the assumption was around the consumption of alcohol, which is a whole <clears throat> other issue. And we have done a show on that, but it's the idea of like not knowing what it is that you're going to get that caused yep. people to be so unhappy. And one of the things that they actually said is they would make jokes, air quotes, uh, about wanting to end their lives. Yeah. That the work yeah, was listen. so bad that people wanted to, they made jokes about 
suicide? I think Jimmy's finished. Um, and I think there's a template that's been established. If you're thinking, oh, well, the same thing happened to Ellen. Yeah, you're right. Um, but even before then, you have to go way back. And I'm sure none of our listeners are remembering this, but Arthur Godfrey, who may have been the first, or is it Steve Allen was the first host or may have been, I think it was the Arthur Godfrey show, which was an early talk show template for the Tonight Show. Arthur Godfrey got killed by a open mic. And he was really rude and, and mean to uh, this character on his show that everybody loved. I, I don't want to say Topo Gigio, but something like we're talking the 1950s. And somebody left the mic open and the audience heard it. And that was pretty much the end of the Arthur Godfrey show. He didn't sexually harass anybody, didn't beat anybody up. But the, the, the dissonance of this guy that they all loved on TV versus who he really was ruined it and if you think that, that, that there's no like michael corleone says in the godfather we have friends at newspapers who might like a story like that because suddenly people are talking about hey where's coco where's conan o'brien doesn't he need a show now and uh you know it's hard to square it's hard to square that giggling guy that giggling cute jimmy jimmy fallon with the monster that made people want to kill themselves uh, i think he's done See, I, I hope that you're right, but I don't think he's going to be done because he's a white guy. And, mm. you know, I mean. Well, so was Arthur Godfrey. Yeah, but that was a different era, right? Yes. I mean, we have a man who's running for president who tried to overthrow the government and has been yeah. credibly accused of raping multiple women. Um, right. And that doesn't seem to be concerning people who talk about wanting to vote for him and wearing his red hat. Yeah, um, okay. But, you know, what was interesting is that Jerry Seinfeld was a guest on Fallon, and he actually took Fallon to task for how incredibly unkind he was to, I think it was a camera person. And Jerry mm -hmm. Seinfeld was like, no, 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 you are not, go apologize to that person. And so it's not mm -hmm. as if like he hasn't, it hasn't gotten noticed or he hasn't been called on it, but, but we'll see. I mean, I think what's interesting is that no one would go on the record and defend Fallon. The most yeah. that happened was that the uh, NBC professed their support for The Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. The show, not the yep. man. And so I right. think that's a level of, I mean, you've got, you know, the convicted rapist who's being supported or was being supported by Ashton Kutcher and uh, his wife, you know. About Danny what, Masterson. Yeah, what yeah. a great guy he is in spite of the fact that he, you know, has been convicted of. of if he's not raping you, he's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, but so I think and I think what's interesting here, you know, from the, the bad boss brief side of it is that how destabilizing it is for people to not know whether they're going to have a good boss day or a bad boss day. You know, and I was reading I got an um, email today from the Harvard Business Review, and it had an article that was talking about high performing teams need psychological safety. And here's how to create it. And, you know, those little sound bitey titles just make me cringe. But what was interesting is it says here in the article, psychological safety, the belief that you won't be punished when you make a mistake. So that's how this article by Laura Delazona um, talks about psychological safety. It's just feeling like you're not going to get punished for making a mistake. I would disagree. I think psychological safety is much more complex. I think psychological safety, yes, that's a component of it. But you could, you know, maybe people at Jim, Jimmy Fallon weren't afraid to be punished 
afraid of being punished if they made a mistake. Maybe they were just always walking on eggshells because I think one of the challenges is that these people are getting in trouble where, whether they made a mistake or not. So I'm right. suggesting that psychological safety needs to also be comprised of some sort of consistency. I would rather yeah. have a boss who is consistently grumpy or loses his temper when people do something wrong than with somebody who you don't know whether you're going to, you know, whether it's a good Jimmy day or a bad Jimmy day. Right. You know, what's interesting too, in my stints as boss, whether it was editor in chief of EQ, editor in chief of code magazine, um, or uh, I never lost my temper. Never. And I think people who routine, in fact, and largely in life, I've, I've not lost my temper a lot. <laughs> um, I, I lost my temper with one guy in Gold's Gym and felt so bad about it that I called. And he, he was upset and left. And I called him at home and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. Hey, I was having an argument with my wife at the time. And he kept interrupting no matter where we went in the gym. He just kept following us, injecting himself in the argument. And I just go, what? You got to get the fuck out of here. And he went and I I didn't like it. I think, um, I don't think there's an excuse for it. It's it's really rare for me to lose my temper. And that was in 1987 I did that. So um, if a boss loses his or her temper, in my mind, I mark it down as inexcusable. I don't quit the well, job, but in my mind, I have, I, at this point, I have safety, safety and security issues from the outset. That's just me. That's my cycle monograph. Well, and I think yes and no, right? Because I think one of the challenges is what does losing your temper mean, right? Like, I think I have a pretty good idea what losing one's temper means to you. The challenge is I work in Seattle, right? And in Seattle, having energy in a conversation can be considered losing your temper, right? So, you know, when I worked in in agencies, my best friend and I worked together. She ran the studio, I ran new business. And we would frequently disagree. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, two o'clock in the morning, we're getting ready for a pitch, something isn't happening, and I get shirty, right? And she's from Mm -hmm. New York. You know, she could take lots of energy and we would be- She she dealt with it. Yeah, Yeah. and we were arguing as best friends. And to me, the level of, of conflict was about a two or a three on a scale of 10. To people in Seattle who are very conflict avoidant as a generalization, they thought it was like a 12. Like we had to go outside to have any kind of conversation because we were bringing a level of energy that made people uncomfortable. So I think that's the challenge is a lot of times losing your temper is in the eye of the beholder. And I also think that it's gendered, right? I mean, I can give somebody a a side eye and they think that I have, you know, they act as if I've like, you know, thrown something at them. And I think also that there's, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is, and I say this to my clients who are, are usually women clients, sometimes as a leader, you need to show a little tooth, right? And then mm-hmm. the argument of that is like, you know, if you see dogs establishing dominance, yep. the kind of like, ah, ah, you know, when yep. they just lift the curl their lip and there's a little growl, yep. that's a warning mm-hmm. to everybody around them. You're getting close to a line that you don't want to step over. And mm-hmm. I do think that it's important for women to be able to indicate you don't want to see what comes next, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, whatever it is, however we signal to the people around us that they are getting too close to a line they don't want to cross. Right. I do think that we need to be able to express that, but I agree with you. There's no excuse for really losing your temper in the workplace. I lose my temper all the time. 
But I Mm -hmm. can also say that I've never done it at the workplace in the way that I have done it in other aspects of my life. That's a good, wonderful, uh, wonderfully diplomatic way of putting that. <laughs> to and we're just going to move on from that the one. end of your temper. <laughs> we're just going to move on from that one. I might, you know, I mean, I'm Italian and uh, yeah. I, might have, I might have thrown crockery once or twice, you know, not at someone, but in the vicinity. Anyway, um, I think that there's another side of this. So we've been talking about the the angry side right? That negative thing. I think what can also happen on the other side is you can have bosses who are, um, get too emotional too quickly, right? So this is the boss that might start and come into a new organization and talk about, you know, how they really want to have everybody feel connected and it's inclusive environment and we're one big family and, you know, and really get to like, want to get to a place of emotional intimacy way yeah. more quickly than is is normal like two days in yeah. they want us to be best friends we can talk about all of our romantic issues like the, bo- like, like the boss who tells you they love you yeah and i think that that is equally problematic and i think that that's also a red flag and i think it's one that people don't necessarily see right away because the impact that person has especially if they're starting in a new job is oh wow he seems so kind and he wants to talk to people and he talks about being vulnerable and emotional safety. Like, isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. You can't fall for that. Yeah. That's also, I think a red flag. And I think that that sets up something because you know that the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, you know, the thing is one of the best bosses I've ever had. And I, I say this without, Fear of contradiction, um, and I found him to be inspirational. Was Andy Grove at, at Intel, and he wrote a book called I think Only the Paranoid Survive, and he was kind of a hard charging guy. We occasionally would make fun of him, you know, um, just because we're jerks. <laughs> like you know, his English wasn't the greatest, but English wasn't his first language. Um, he's Hungarian, um, but he was phenomenal and um i never saw him lose his temper but he was a demanding boss and he led by you know it it framed how i did things later as a boss he led by example so he didn't say listen i want you to show up at four o'clock in the morning to cover the german press conference he would say i'll be here at four in the morning i want you to cover the german press conference and i found that to be completely like not asking me to do something that you're not doing and you love doing it because you want to see us succeed and that was it it wasn't personal with him it was business and that was the eye on the prize moment that made me believe that he was a straight-up shooter so i i enjoyed working for him and so it sounds like i mean because one of the things that i prefer is i do like professionalism and it doesn't mean that i don't get to be friendly with people that i work with that we can't develop some sort of friendships but i like there to be a little separation between you know my the rest of my life and my work life and i'm not necessarily mm-hmm. going to lead with conversations about whatever and yep. i think that that and you know maybe that's generational maybe that's just mm-hmm. my personality um but the idea that that there some separation is is useful i yep. think that's one of the things that i don't like about these overly effusive bosses they a lot of times what they want to do is they they feel like a connection is mm-hmm. about shared confidences. And sometimes they will, mm-hmm. they will pull those confidences. Like there's a, 
there's a saying, and I don't know what it is, but the a, a friend of mine who is Spanish says there's a saying like when the cat pulls your tongue, right? And it's, yes. it's this idea of like people who force you to tell them more than you're actually comfortable telling them. And I think a lot of this like bring your authentic self to work can be a setup for people who want to like pull, you know, like get those confidences out of you when you may not actually want to deliver them. All right. And of course, the only reason that is a problem is because you will later find it weaponized and used against you, hence hot and cold. Exactly. And so I think, so let's talk about, since we like to get into some practical suggestions, if you work for this person, what are some of your options? So, I mean, if you can, I think you should probably leave because in my experience, these people, particularly the ones who are very volatile, generally have either psychological issues that they need to be addressing or substance abuse issues that they need to be addressing or both. Hmm. And often those don't get addressed. I think this is also especially challenging because it's not, I don't think it's an accident that Jimmy Fallon works at the tonight show. And that for a lot of people Hmm. writing for the tonight show or working on the tonight show is a dream job. And so you see that a lot, that there's this understanding like you work in a creative industry, but this person is so talented. And, and a lot of these white guys get cut all sorts of slack because they're talented. So they're grumpy. So they're whatever they get, they're talented. And so I think that, you know, that's one of the things that if you're in this situation, I would advise is like, even if this is your dream job, it's not going to be a dream job if it destroys your physical and mental health. Right. Right. You still need to look at leaving. Now, the other thing is, is that a lot of times if there's a, a senior person that has this kind of hot and cold, it will trickle down. So one of the showrunners that uh, worked on the Jimmy Fallon show, yeah. I mean, they, a number of them are cited as being very dysfunctional, but there was one who was such a bully and it was a woman. One of the staffers of the Tonight Show resigned because this woman was bullying them. And the woman showed up at this person's exit interview. Which never happened, right? Never happened. So she, this the person who's leaving, goes to the exit interview thinking about, I think I'm going to say how and where and and what the circumstances were of this woman bullying me. And they walk into their exit interview and there's HR and the person who's bullying them just sitting there. And so they didn't say anything. Uh, That's a flex. That's a fucking flex. Yeah. You know, and that's not to say that like exit interviews are a whole nother thing, HR are a whole nother thing. But I think the idea is to. I would have roasted them right there. Yeah. 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 And I think, but I think that the idea is that sometimes the psychological bullying can have such an impact that people just don't have the capacity to stand up with it, you know, stand up to it or or to, to name it. If you, so if you can leave, leave, right. And it doesn't matter that it's your dream job. You can get another dream job. If not, you will have your health and your sanity and your self-respect. Yep. If you have some power in that organization, maybe this is something that's, that a peer is doing. I think it's important for you to name it. Okay? Yeah. Just name it. You know, when you show up one day and you have this affect and you show up another day, it makes people feel insecure. It doesn't create that psychological safety that's necessary for us to do our job, however you articulate it. Um, and then I think the other thing is, is to, to be mindful about the kinds of conversations that can that can keep this going, right? So one of the things that I've seen of the hot and cold boss that's a little subtler is I worked at a place once where they had this thing called the black cloud. That's what I called it, where all of a sudden a person who was doing a pretty good job, the leader would decide that she, it was always a she, was doing a terrible job, right? And maybe, maybe he did it to men too, but it would be like one day you come in and suddenly 
the boss doesn't like how you do your hair and has decided that from that, there's all these extrapolations. A lot of times those bosses and these dysfunctional bosses, they like a lot of other people to agree with them. So there'll be a lot of conversations about, I didn't really like what her expression was or what does he actually do? And they start like, you know, in a professional way, pretending that it's gossip disguised as management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are situations you want to not be there, right? Yeah. Gossip is not management, and you need if you are in management, you need to learn the difference. And really, that's straight up a- adult bullying. Yeah, know, no question. Yes, yeah. and this idea of like trying to get other people on your side, trying to sort of yeah. create a narrative. Those are situations. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about a third person, be really like, what are you saying that you wouldn't say in front of them? What if the email that you're writing or the conversation that you're having was broadcast across the, you know, the company on Slack, like to try to keep those things in mind. Um, but basically, yeah, like try to try to get the heck out of there. Any other suggestions? There, there, there was a guy, there was a guy who was really interesting. His name was Jim. I'll spare him me using his last name who did that at Apple was just you know, we would call him a corporate operator, right? Was rather than actually doing a lot of work, was just doing a lot of snaky work to undermine those around him rather than to pull himself ahead. And he eventually quit because he thought that he could see that it was coming down. I mean, Apple wasn't going to do anything horrible to him because they had such A-list players that everybody was just focused on achieving. And they were like, what are you doing? Punching somebody in the face back there. But he quit and went to Cisco. And Cisco, he aggressively misread Cisco and they just fired him. <laughs> you know, they just, it was a company of engineers, you know, by engineers, for engineers, totally serious, not into this corporate gamesmanship. And he just got his, I mean, it was literally fast. It was like six months after he left Apple was canned at Cisco. They just weren't, they weren't playing that game. So good yeah. luck to you. Hey, do you have a fire me for this week? I do. I do. Do you remember a few shows ago where I talked about the the upcoming layoffs at Google? Yes. Well, they happen a mm. few a few weeks later, but they happen. And so this fire me is is not about the ones that just happened that made the press that everybody's read about. But here I am. Most people don't know this. This is not my house. I'm sitting in now. I'm actually in Spain now. Here I am in Spain, and through back channel means know that there's going to be another bloodletting in November at Google. So I find this interesting from a, from a corporate perspective because you know there's this whole discussion about do you pull the bandit off fast or do you pull it off slow? I, I think Google has decided. You just pull it off when nobody's looking, <laughs> you know, and they're just going to keep doing it. And this buffer that they created of people who don't have real jobs just to, you know, so that they can increase their market cap are now being systematically kind of let go for very much the same reason. So they can return, you know, stockholder investor value um, in a way that makes it seem reasonable. So um, if you got out of college, got your job at Google and have been working there thinking that you're untouchable for the last four, five, six, three years. Um, November is the next bloodletting. Those of you who have uh, Google stock, all of you might want to act accordingly. Um, I don't say that this is a good way to do business. I don't say that this is a bad way to do it because I don't have any metric by which to figure out success in this instance. But I just know if I from 6,000 miles away, know that a bunch of people about to get canned at Google, it's probably not the greatest look. You know, in my mind, you either do it or you don't do it. How about if your partner walked in and somebody told you, your partner's going to dump you in three months? How does that feel? (laughs) Does it feel good? 
you probably would not be able to function well afterward. Um, so think about that upper management at Google when you think about whether or not you're a bad boss or not. Unless unless this is all part of the, the larger strategy, right? The idea mm-hmm. that the um, pandemic, when workers got a lot of power and people said, I'm not going to come into the office and I'm going to do uh, quiet quitting or whatever. Is this yeah. not a way of reasserting? Uh, yeah. Right? Is this not a way for companies to say, and especially given that, you know, your healthcare is tied up with your employment. Yeah. For Google and all the other tech companies that have been doing layoffs, it's kind of like jerking the leash. Like, hey, remember, remember, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And don't be thinking that you can do this other stuff. I have to say it's working. Based on my time on uh, Northern California freeways, it is working. People are going back to work at Facebook. People are going back to work at Apple and they're going back to work at Google. How do I know? Because the freeways are jam-packed like they haven't been since 2018. And that's the reality of it. So and they, you know, from that point of view, you guys got it. You scared people. They're back. But I think I think there still is at least what I'm hearing about in Seattle is there still are the elite few whose, mm-hmm. you know, skills and talents are so much in demand that they can say, I- I'm not coming in. I live in Montana now. Uh, you, I can go find another job. I think it's it's yeah. few and far between, but those yeah. are the ones that I imagine stick in the craw of those well, but you, kind yeah. of leaders. But those ones are untouchable. They're untouchable. And so what they, what, instead of what they do is to minimize their presence out of existence so that they don't become, you know, they know Jean, Jean Darks there. They don't, right. want, they don't want any heroes of this movement. So they're being, you know, they're just being bought out. You know, it's a different type of scab. Right? Yeah. I've got to, I've got to fire me actually. So when I oh, was in, when I was in high school, one of my favorite teachers talked a lot about Vassar. She had gone to Vassar. And she talked about what a like formative experience it was for her to go to a women's college and mm-hmm. how it made her a feminist and she connected with all these women. And so I always had this great, I'd like Vassar. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, news came out today that for decades, Vassar has consistently paid male professors more than female professors. <laughs> it, is, it is so, it has been so progressive and I mean, so pervasive that it's obviously, you know, it's a, it's a policy, whether it's stated or not. And it was just so interesting to think about like, well, why, I mean, why am I even surprised, right? That an organization that supports the education of women and can graduate women like my, you know, high school history teacher who can, you know, be a feminist and help empower other women, et cetera, et cetera. They still operate within the same society. But yeah. it was just it was just one of those things where you're just like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Sadness. There you go. There you go. That's a good one. All right. Well, and I think I think that's all we've got for this week. Um, yep. Thank you for joining us from Spain. We I don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about next time. So please send us some suggestions. WTF at badbossbrief.com. We also have another uh, show, which is called Sub Rosa. It's not a show. It's just like quick. Yeah. Sub Rosa. I, so I've been recording the last couple of ones since you've been on tour. I had to do my own, shh, which just made me sad. So I'll be glad when you're <laughs> um, And what we do is it's about, they're about, you know, five to 10 minutes long. And we just take a, a viewer question, answer it. It's 
you know, a little free advice. So you can also reach us at WTF at badbossbrief.com for that as well. So, all right. See you next time. Adios. Adios. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, workcase situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at BadBossBrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.